Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Emerging Ease, where we will focus on unraveling the difficulties in the midst of our journey and move toward forward progress. This program is not meant to replace any form of therapy, and you are encouraged to seek out a mental health professional if necessary. Hello, and welcome to Emerging East. I'm your host, Keisha, and you are tuned into the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, feel free to call 646-929-0130 or send questions to the chat room at blogtalkradio.com forward slash la-bachelor. You can also send any questions during the week. Uh, to Emerging Ease, all one word, at gmail.com. Today we are talking about how to open yourself to personal growth, communicating needs and wants, something that is very difficult uh, for some of us because, for one, um, how do we know what the difference between what our needs and wants are? Um, Sometimes our wants, really feel like a need, and sometimes our needs may come across as wants. Um, so we'll be talking about that with, uh, to, well, during today's show, as well as I'm going to go ahead and give you a heads up. Next week, we'll be moving into talking about, um, who, let's see how to put it to where people don't fall out on the floor. We're going to be talking with a friend of mine who's a therapist, and she deals with um, appropriate sexual behavior, not just with couples, but uh, for adults. And so next week we'll start touching on some touchy topics that um, that have to do with sex. Just flat out. So I said it. I hope nobody's saying it. I hope if you're in the car, you pulled over. I said I said the word. <laughs> so with that, with communicating uh, your wants and needs. First, how do you identify a need? What is a need? Um, Many times when we look at needs, we think of air, clean air, clean water, food uh, that's uh, nurturing, um, and shelter. Basically, Maslow's hierarchy. We think of those things that are very at the very base of the hierarchy. Um, But uh, our needs, are something that's that's necessary for us. So really, the things that are necessary for us depends on where, what we're trying to do, where we're going, um, what things are important to us. So of course, the physio- physiological needs, sorry, I got a little tongue tied, are very, very important. But in addition to that, we have needs for safety. Um, and I am using information as far as the ranking from Maslow's hierarchy, but I am also inserting additional things that people don't really think about when they think about that hierarchy. Um, With the safety needs, we need to also feel safe in our interactions with other people. We need to feel safe uh, with the way our environment is at home. We need to feel safe with the people that we hold dear. 
We need to feel safe in our work environment, basically not, you know, running around like extra stressed out because, you know, if I don't, then maybe I lose my job or maybe I don't get the pay that I have been promised, whatever it is. We need to make sure that we have safety in all of those areas. And according to the hierarchy, the um, things that are in there are uh, personal safety, which is basically you feel physically safe, your employment, uh, you are employed, um, you have resources, uh, you have your health, and you have uh, certain property. Basically, property uh, that doesn't have to be extravagant, but it meets your need for shelter and protection. Now, the thing with um, with all of that, when we're looking at those safety needs, once those are fulfilled, okay, we are in a place to then start to look for a deeper level of connection with other people. With that deeper connection of other people comes friendship. And in any friendship, relationship, a significant other, partnership, marriage, uh, you're just talking or whatever it is, you have to make sure there's an appropriate amount of intimacy there. We all need intimacy with other people. Now, the thing with intimacy is intimacy is often confused with sexual contact. That is not what intimacy is. Intimacy is a deep connection with someone else, um, and it actually does not require um, physical contact at all. Um, it's being close, emotionally connected, and feeling supported. Um, with that intimacy comes the ability to trust someone, the ability to feel as if you can be yourself around that person and that person. Also in that trust, you may begin to share things with this person or these people that you have intimacy with that you don't feel necessarily safe or comfortable sharing with someone else. Because in that intimacy, you know that I can trust that this person has my best interest at heart and, there's an and, not a but, and that um, their focus is not going to be coming from a place of hurt but a place of help. Whether they're a sounding board or they're helping me locate resources to address something that's stressful or traumatic, this person is there for me. They're in my corner. So being mindful of that, that is um, intimacy that is sought after, like I said, in all relationships. Now, in the relationship of family, intimacy comes across as usually, um, you know, my family's there through thick and thin. We support each other regardless of what goes on, but I know these folks are in my corner. Not everybody has that. And I think that is something that has become more um, pronounced as we have faced uh, COVID and separation is you start to identify those people that are there for you through thick and thin and those that are there just for a season. I encourage people to always think about um, the people that are there for a season and how to interact with them so that they don't get into the place of your complete inner circle where you are very uh, very much embracing them and seeking after them, 
but they're not doing anything to embrace and or seek after you. So be mindful. Um, there's one um, person I was speaking with, oh, gosh, it's been a few weeks ago, and uh, they were saying, well, I like to give people the benefit of the doubt. And anyone who's ever worked with me, um, I'm kind of unorthodox in my speech because, like I told you guys, that when I started the show, very country. So I, I have a, a, a an instruction I always give people. I always tell them when they start therapy with me, have a trash can available. And the reason that is is because I encourage people to throw away uh, false concepts and to find something healthy and productive to, to replace them with. The one thing I encourage people to throw away because we use it in a very unhealthy way usually is the concept of I'm giving someone the benefit of the doubt. Giving someone the benefit of the doubt is a, a very quick and forward-moving way to say, regardless of how this person interacts with me, I will ignore that and believe that they have all this good awesomeness inside and I'm just waiting for that to show up. So I encourage people to throw that away because that is not what the benefit of the doubt is. What that is is saying but flat out is uh, I see the red flag. I don't want to acknowledge the red flag because there's something about this person that I want in my life. Yes, I want, not need, that I want in my life or I perceive that I want in my life. And so I'm going to go ahead and just ignore that. They they have something better. They were just having a bad day. They were having a bad week, a bad month, a bad year. Next year is going to be different. And then you find that you've invested all this time and energy into this person that has done nothing but show red flags, large ones, small ones, medium-sized ones. The color has never changed. Uh, the shade of red maybe has gotten to a deeper level of red, but it's always been red, not even pink. <laughs> and so when we disregard those interactions with people that are very truthful from their perspective, and we give them the benefit of the doubt, we take away what we can truly receive and understand as appropriate intimacy, appropriate connection. I encourage uh, people to always look at um, any interaction they have with someone, whether it's family, whether it's friend, whether it's significant other, and identify the the ebb and flow in the relationship and in the interaction because every interaction is going to have an ebb and a flow. Sometimes you may give more. Sometimes you may uh, receive more. And, and that will go with the other person in the relationship. But the thing is, if you sit back and look at it, if you're always the one doing and pouring in and doing and giving and going above and beyond to make sure this person's comfortable but you're not receiving that back, is that true intimacy? Because intimacy comes from both sides, not just one side. So we have to be really mindful of that. That's why with this uh, topic today, of being able to communicate your needs and your wants. You have to be on point with understanding how intimacy uh, impacts your needs versus your wants. Um, just to kind of hold on to the, the intimacy piece before I move forward, when we want someone in our life, we have to look at why do we want them in our life. 
what is the benefit going to be that we have to offer them and what benefit do they have to offer us? Is it because, oh, they look really good in pictures of me, so we're very photogenic and um, I think this is the person that I, I, I want to spend the rest of my life with. But that's really all you have because there's very limited communication, very limited connection on any other level um, other than their physical attractiveness. What about the financial pool? Some people will say, hey, I want this person. Remember I said want. I want this person in my life because of their financial standing. Um, they have investments. They have a good savings. They have an awesome credit score. Uh, they have very minimal debt. This is who I want. If that's the only thing you're looking at, you're not looking at them as a person. You're looking at them as an asset. And that is not what people are supposed to be, not assets. If you're saying that, well, I have kids, I need a parent for my kids, I want this person in my life because I want someone to help me raise these kids. Yet again, that's not looking at this person as a whole person. They have going on in their uh, intimate places in their life. They may be awesome with your kids. They may be awesome with the dogs. They may love everybody in your family, but you have absolutely no intimacy because that's not what you're looking for. You're looking to want to feel something. And the reason I keep reiterating want is because um, want does not does not fulfill. Want does not uh, stay stable over time. Want is not essential for intimacy. Um, want is a very temporary uh fleeting, um, fragile thing. The thing is with a need in your life, when you say the type of significant other that I need is, now not a person that's going to complete you, mind you, but a person that's going to be a compliment to you and that you are going to be a compliment to. Um, many times in uh, intimacy when people connect, especially nowadays, it's, it's, it almost makes me nervous when uh, a client will come in and the week before they were single and they come back and almost are at engagement. You're like, wait a minute, it's barely been seven days. What happened? Like, I mean, it moves fast nowadays, way fast. And I don't feel like I'm that old, but this is making me feel like an older person. But looking at the way people connect and feel as though this intimacy is immediate, that intimacy takes time. In intimacy takes investment. Intimacy takes a willingness to be able to open up to a person as well as um, connect with them and allow them to connect with you. See how I said that? Allow them to connect with you. It's one thing to say, you know, I, I love this person and I love myself. You can love someone and you can love yourself. That does not necessarily mean that you all are connected. Um, but back to the story is uh, with meeting people and people feel that intimacy is moving so fast, it's not that it's supposed to be a slow, uh, arduous process, but it does take time. If you begin to well, introduce yourself to someone and you begin the process of getting to know each other, I would hope, I would hope you're not yanking open all the 
the doors and all the skeletons and dust bunnies and everything of old are coming out. Because what if this person is not invested in maintaining this long-term relationship? Do you even understand what their version of long-term is? Oftentimes, especially with, and I say nowadays because we have so many ways to connect on social media sites, um, Internet, everything. But just because you can instantly meet someone does not mean you should be instantly trusting that person with the the value of who you are, with whatever is going on in your family, with anything that is going to mm, be a sensitive place for you. Get to know the basics about them. Do they have any allergies? Do they even have the same types of goals you have? What the long term? One thing I encourage people always to do when they're interested in dating someone is, what is your version of a relationship? What do you think a relationship is? What do you believe is important, the most important thing in a relationship? What do you have to offer in a relationship that is healthy? Okay. Yet again, it comes up that uh, sometimes when people begin to ask these questions, they find out, gosh, this person is a lot more shallow than I thought they were. And now you have to question, are we really as connected? Well, you didn't give yourself time. Because in that time, as people share their information with you, they are also uh, opening themselves up to, um, to listen and to delve a little bit deeper with you. Uh, before I go any further, I wanted to uh, go ahead and talk about um, the the other part of uh, of the love and belonging phase um, is the attachment and connection. Many times, we as people uh, will uh, allow ourselves to become attached and connected to people that um, do not have the best interest for us, and that love and attachment is very skewed because what is really the meaning of love? What does that mean? What does that mean as far as um, when you love somebody, what does that look like? What does it look like when you are with someone and they love you? What does that look like? Um, we have to be really mindful of what what it is that they love about us and what it is that we love about these other people that are in our lives and how we choose to interact with them, how we choose to allow them to interact with us. Um, I want to tell you about the featured artist of the day, and I'm, I, I lost my paper that I wrote it on. Oh, my gosh. Well, I want you to tune in. Um, Sunday through Friday, uh, every Sunday through Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to whisper softly. Oh, shucks. Uh, it is from 8 p.m. until midnight only on Bachelor News Airtime Pro. Uh, also, if you're interested in um, advertising, please reach out to, um, to us at uh, the Bachelor News Radio Network and the featured album of this week, or excuse me, the featured artist of this week, I guess I kind of made myself sound old saying album. <laughs> the featured artist of this week is Beyonce and Destiny's Child. 
uh, featured artists are played on um, Fridays. And um, I'm really glad they have Destiny and Beyonce because sometimes people leave Destiny's Child in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the background. And that's, you know, not fair to everybody. But um, as we move forward with, uh, I'm sorry, I pronounced it wrong. It's Sister Softly, which is 8 p.m. to midnight, and the featured album Friday. Okay, so I wasn't, it wasn't old. Okay, okay, that's the thing. All right. Sorry about that. Um, with moving forward with the uh, belonging, with that connection, that belonging, sometimes we, especially in this time, I think it's been more pronounced over this past year and a half, that people want to connect so badly that we are seeking connection with so many people that otherwise we would have been immediately open to identifying this person is not a good connection for us. Um, in seeing a person's interaction with you and the way they choose, because it's always a choice to interact with you, the very first time you see those red flags, please acknowledge those. And identify, I don't need this in my life. There may be something that you want uh, about their presence, especially if it's just to have someone there to speak to or to cuddle with, whatever it is, but do you need that? And why not meet someone else that can fulfill the, the needs that you have, which we'll continue to talk about. The next step is to look at your esteem. How do you see yourself? How do you see others in relation to yourself? How do you see yourself in relation to others? Recognizing your personal value is so important. Recognizing your personal value can help you better identify your needs, what you need to continue in your forward progress, what you need uh, to uh, continue to feel fulfilled. Um, the thing with, with your esteem is, there are so many things that are impacting the self-esteem of others these days that it, it's kind of scary. Please, 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 if you are a social media person, don't compare yourself to these people on social media that are living their best life every day. Um, that's what they choose to show. And then what they choose to show is that really their full truth. Possibly not. And just know that as a person, you're going to have up days, you're going to have not-so-up days. But the thing is, what you do to maintain those ups and what you do to get past those not-so-ups, that's where your strength is. That's where you move forward. Um, with, the, uh, with the needs that you identify during the uh, esteem, when you look at yourself and you say, this is my value, this is what I have that's unique to me, love on that. Live in that. Be that. Um, I had one young lady I met several years ago. She was a client. And she would say, well, I kind of feel like awkward because the way I see things and I understand things is different from the whole crowd that I hang with. And I asked her about, well, then why do you hang with that crowd? Or why do you not share that with them? That could be a way to uplift them because they're not seeing it from the perspective you are. That's unique with you. Once she began to feel as though she was okay enough to start sharing it, she didn't share it with the whole friend group. I think it was like five of them in the whole group. She began to share it with the people she felt safest with, the most connected with. 
and come to find out they were intrigued by the way she thought, by the way she saw things, because she had a very artistic kind of flow about her and the way she thought and the way she spoke. Everything was kind of rhythmic. Live in who you are. If we were meant to be robots or if we were robots, this world would be extremely boring. There's absolutely nothing wrong with you as you are. That's the person you were meant to be. So be that person. Live in that. Be who it is. Some people may say, well, I'm too eclectic or I'm too, you know, awkward. Are you awkward or are you perfectly who you're supposed to be and you are fearful that other people won't accept you? If that's really what it is, that you're fearful of other people not accepting you, why would you have fear? Because you're being who you're supposed to be. Those other people would be, I mean, for lack of better words, blessed to have you in the present because you think outside the box. Because, heck, if, especially even if uh, you introduce new ideas to your friend group, that helps grow. That helps push forward. That's the purpose of having these connections and having this intimacy with others to continue to push each other forward and encourage each other to do better. The next uh, step uh, as we look at this is once you are able to value and love yourself the way you are and how you are, then the thing is what else do I need to do um, to move forward? What else do I need to do to make sure I'm the best version of myself? What do I see the best version of myself as? That's when you get to get your own crayons, colored pencils, etch a sketch, wherever you want to use to put your design together and be awesomely you. That is needed for all of us. We need, we not want, we need to be better versions of who we already are. We need to continue to allow ourselves to grow. We need to continue to uh, move forward and progress, challenge ourselves to progress. And in those challenges, not allow fear to walk in. Now, as I kind of bring everything together today, I want you to remember that when we're talking about all these things as far as the things we need to do to move forward, to grow, um, to become the best version of ourselves, that's going to be on all levels, mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual. So with that being said, that is why next week we will be talking about physical from the perspective of sexual, and I hope that everyone tunes in uh, as we talk about this and what that looks like as we talk about it and kind of get another perspective other than what we hear from uh, various uh, rap artists and video uh, sites um, that um, the focus is to make ourselves better people. Better people have better interactions, have better relationships, are better parents, are better friends, are better family members, are better people in our community. That is the whole goal, to become better. Um, not perfect, because we had that trash can. We already threw benefit of the doubt in there, and we're going to throw perfect in there, as we did a few weeks ago. And remember that you are perfectly who you are and where you are at this time. 
There's absolutely no such thing as being a perfect person. You're perfectly where you are and who you are then. But your next thing is to continue to push yourself toward growth, to push yourself to become uh, more than where you are and not allow your circumstances, whether it's a financial uh, circumstance, a physical limitation like able-bodiedness, any limitation that someone else puts on you, says, oh, you can't do that because of whatever, or just because I said so, you can't do it. It's working past and walking past and moving past those things that are meant to be slowdowns in the road to allow yourself to continue to grow, to become better. Because the thing is, once you hit your highest goal, whatever that is right now, and you're standing on top of that achievement and saying, I did this, now you have to think, now what? Because if I did this, and this was like at the farthest reach of my imagination, oh, I have something else that reaches a little bit further than that. Let me try that. And then when that success comes, because it will, if you put your mind, body, and spirit into it, then you start to realize I'm moving further than the limitations and the boundaries that even I put on myself. And what does that do for a person other than encourage them and their continued forward movement? All right. I hope that wasn't too too deep or too uh, too uh, pushy as far as addressing these and what today. I have enjoyed speaking with you. I want to thank you for tuning in. I hope that today's discussion has been and will continue to be helpful to you in your life's journey. Uh, you have been listening to Emerging Needs with Keisha on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Thank you for tuning in. I appreciate you for taking such a time as this to participate in your personal improvement with Emerging Ease. I'm Keisha, your host. Remember that in everything, there's an opportunity to learn and grow. If you are experiencing a difficult time, please reach out to the National Crisis Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. And I look forward to hearing from you next week on Emerging Ease with Keisha.
And welcome to another edition of the Bachelor News Radio Show, the Bachelor News Radio Network, and WCOM in Chapel Hill. Of course, IBM TV, Big Mind Entertainment. And of course, you can listen to it live and the rebroadcast at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Want to bring in my guest. Always good to have him on. Talking some HBCU football uh, from the HBCU Pro Sports Media Association and Black Power Sports Network. He's A.D. Drew. A.D., what's your What's going on, my brother? What's going on, hey. man? Hey, man. Uh, a wild weekend, the first weekend of uh, of college football. I wanted to touch on a, a few of the games when you look at um, the the game where, look, everybody pretty much had Alcorn State winning this game, this MIAC game against Central. Basically, Central shouldn't even showed up. And at the end of the day, Central pulls off a win, 23-14. Were you surprised, uh, you know, in Central's play or disappointed in Alcorn State? I'm going to start off before I even get into the game. <laughs> I want to send a heartfelt apology from not only myself, but all of black sports media to the North Carolina Central fans that's who right. did not give them a chance in you-know-what to not only <laughs> compete in that game, but to win that game. Now, with that being said, Central did what they needed to do to win that game by shortening the game up, uh, took advantage of all corn mistakes. And if you saw any football last weekend, the theme of the weekend, to me, was special teams play. Right. Every game that I had a chance to watch over the weekend, I'd say 80% of those games were turned on a special teams play, one way or the other. So it really was more the lack of execution for you um, rather than so much, not taking anything away from Central, but maybe the lack of execution on uh, Alcorn State's point of view to that led to their demise? Well, since, since, since you, you're based in North Carolina, I, I, could, I will speak a little bit more freely to the Central fans who may be listening to you. I think Alcorn may have read too much of their own press clippings and too much of their own Google, uh, Google posts. They are supposed to be the big thing, you know, depending on what poll you looked at and who you talked to, Alcorn is still the team to beat in the swag. So with that being said, maybe they were starting to let that go to their head. And, you know, now granted, Alcorn lost, had four offensive linemen that, that, were down at some point in time during that game. So that changes the dynamic with everything. Well, four offensive linemen who did not play last in 2019 were not there for this game. I don't care what what it does, what happens. Offensive line play and defensive line play are going to make the difference in these early season games, especially for teams that have had the layoff. You can do all the seven-on-seven drills that you want to do. The skilled guys can simulate game speed, game rep. The guys in the trenches, the offensive line, defensive line, 
they got to hit. You can't simulate that in summer practice. The only way you're going to do that is to hit in practice, which we know they don't do as much anymore because of the different limitations. So game time is, is, is the first time some of those people have been hit like that in a long time. Central, the more physical team, which the BAC teams tend to be more physical and the SWAC teams tend to be more finesse, won out in this particular battle. Yeah, and you, you're right. I mean, if I think that sometimes when you're, you're the favorite to be the, the king of the beast, you know, you let your guard down, and and I, I'm thinking coaches saying this is not only a teachable moment, but we're gonna work hard uh, before their next game. I think they both get a week off and then come back from from that. But a big big win yeah. uh, for Central. No matter what how they did it, they got the dub, and that's really the most important thing. Um, and one other, one, one other thing on on, sure. on that before before we move on to the next topic. It, it, Central, uh, excuse me, Alcorn kind of remind me of a basketball game. Uh, have you been to a basketball game when the when that shooter, that Steph Curry type player, hits their first shot from about twenty five feet away, mm-hmm. and you think he's hot and can continue to shoot out there all night? That's how Alcorn looked on that first drive going down the field. They looked like they were hot. They looked like they were going to be the the stuff all night. But then, then what happens? They keep shooting, they keep shooting, they keep throwing up bricks. They ain't hit nothing but that first three-point of the game, and they won for 10 when you look at the stat line at the end of the night. Kind of how all right. point was. Central kept grinding, kept grinding, did not let it phase them. The touchdown late in the uh, second quarter uh, was a turning point uh, going, in, going into halftime. And then, of course, we know the biggest turning point in the game was the, uh, was the punt return for the touchdown. That, that sealed the game. That's, I believe the score went uh, to 23-14 at that point in time. If I remember correct, I don't have my notes in front of me. Right, right. That's where that's where it went. That's exactly where it went. And, you know, I, I think you're right. You know, not only if if you believe in your, your press clipping, but then you just go down the field, march down the field. It's like, oh, okay, this is a piece of cake. We're going to do this all, all night. And Central said, you know, not so fast, my friend. And um, at the end of the day, they took care of business. Uh, we're talking with A.D. Drew here on the Bassett Radio Show, IBM TV, WCOM, and Chapel Hill, and Big Mind Entertainment. Uh, A.D., I want to switch to the SIAC, the SIAC, and, uh, the SIAC. And when you look at the games there, some really good games. I mean, Central State, I thought, was going to play a little bit better when you look at you know, um, their game against Kentucky State, um, you know, they, I mean, they, they, the, the, the key to this game is that I thought Central State would be a little bit better defensively. It's only one game, but the thoroughbreds is thoroughbredly, if you will. I made up a word, <laughs> rush the ball all over them <laughs> and, and just control the time of possession. Um, so, and plus the fact that, you know, Central State couldn't protect the quarterback. I mean, what, seven times, I think, in the game he got he got put on the ground? So, at the end, you know, 20 to 6, Kentucky State looked awfully good. I'm glad you thought Central State had a chance because I, I was right about that one. I might have been wrong about North Carolina Central, but Central State, I got right. I got the other Central right. 
uh, and then you talk about the quarterback being put on the ground. What did I just say was the key to these early uh, season games? Offensive line play. Offensive linemen haven't hit, haven't had to sustain those blocks for three, four, and five seconds. So that that obviously Central was not uh, in tune with what they needed to do to protect their quarterback. Also, correct me if I'm wrong, this is the year 2021, not 1961, correct? <laughs> you know where I'm going with this, right? I know where you're going with it. I know. Student body, no student body. <laughs> passing, yards. Seriously, the thoroughbreds were more like mules, and I'm not saying that in a disrespectful way because they were workhorses. You know, mules are the workhorses. Right. Of, of that classification of animals. They weren't the thoroughbreds running up and down the field. They they were like mules plowing the field all over. That's a good that's a good analogy for them. I mean, three hundred and twenty three yards of offense, three hundred and twenty three yards of rushing. Forget the fact that they did not even complete a pass. When right. was the last time you saw a team only throw four passes? And doesn't that speak to central? They can't all you're doing is running it, and you can't stop it. Now, Central, I think, ran the ball pretty well, too. But if this, if Kentucky State's not throwing the ball, you know it's not. It's almost like if you stack eight, nine guys in a box, you know you want to stop the run, and you can't stop it. And that, that was sort of the theme, you know, for the game. Yeah, I mean, it was – from what I saw, I, I, I have not seen the whole game, but from the highlight packages that I was able to put together, I mean – Kentucky State ran an old double-wing style football that I ran when I first started coaching 20-plus years ago when I was coaching Little League and high school ball. But you know something? That offense has been around for 80-plus years for a reason. Right. It works if you get the players to buy into it. And it is such a demoralizing office because you, you read your keys, you do what you're supposed to do, and they still pick up three to four yards per play. Right. While everybody's trying to get the glory and, and get the 30 or 40 yard bombs down the field, we're going to eat this clock. Look, all you need to do is get three yards of play to keep the chains moving. Right. That's what people don't understand about basic football. All you have to do is average three to four yards of play and you will win Nine times out of ten. That's all Kentucky State is doing. Three to four yards of play. Three to four yards of play. Next thing you know, they're, they're, it's an eight-minute, 15-play drive for a touchdown. And think about it, too, A.D. I mean, the, the plus side of that also is you eat up time and possession. You keep the defense fresh and off the field. So when they do come on, they, they got seven sacks on this quarterback. You know, offensive line notwithstanding – you know, that, that keeps your defense refreshed. Now, my concern moving forward, because you know at this level, of, you know, at the pro, of course, the ultimate, but at this level, even, you know, in, in D2, that they're going to look at it on film. It's not like Kentucky State haven't been doing this before. And if, if they make this team one-dimensional, then it's going to be a struggle. They can't throw the football at all. It's going to be a struggle all year. I don't. I I I I beg to differ with you, and I'm gonna tell you why, Ellen. Okay. You, every, what what offense is everybody playing? Everybody's playing the spread offense pretty much now. Right. Not playing the, the 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 spread. You may you may have a pro style offense. 
but everybody is passing the ball down the field, trying to get the ball to people in space. Correct me if I'm wrong. That's right. So what are coaches recruiting defensively? They're recruiting safety, defensive backs, and linebackers who can cover and tackle in space. They are not recruiting a strong safety or a linebacker who is a run stopper, is a is a gap plugger. You're not looking for defensive tackles who who all they want to do is, is use a three technique and plug the A gap or the B gap. Right. You're not recruiting you're not recruiting players. They don't even see that in high school anymore. So you're not recruiting players who can stop that. Can you get ready for that honestly in a week? When you don't see it, first of all, can you even simulate that in practice with your practice squad? But you may not even have the athletes to even simulate that style in practice. Yeah, and especially if it, this, this is why Kentucky State has won 15 of the last 17 games. But and especially I guess if you're running like a three-four, you you know you don't have those four linemen down there, like you said, to plug those gaps. And if you switch to that, then you got guys playing out of place. I mean, I've seen a linebacker go to strong safety, but it's different from going on a linebacker trying to, you know, play uh, three technique because here comes Kentucky State. Exactly, exactly. So it, it, it's, it's really going to be interesting because let, let me ask you this. When the last time you actually seen three linebackers on the field, except in the short, in the short yardage situation? Not much. <laughs> Everybody's running a four-two-five now. Right. Everybody right. runs a four-two-five. Very rarely do you see the Sam, the Will, and the Mike on the field. And for those right. of y'all who, who may not be football technical, uh, Sam is the, is the strong side linebacker. Will is the weak side linebacker, and the Mike is the middle linebacker. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're right. You have, you do have a point about that, but I mean, um, somebody's gonna have to figure it out. Uh, because they look awfully good pounding that ball uh, up the field. Like you said, grind, grinding it out, killing time. And, you know, once you get you get up a couple of touchdowns with them, it's, it's almost lights out, you know, and State uh, found that out. You know, one of the teams that I, I thought would be well and, you know, you know, before COVID and played a little bit was Edward Waters, and they got it done at home. I mean, uh, um at Florida Memorial, uh, 24-20, close game, good game. Uh, but that quarter showed that, um, you know, they're, you know, it's only week one, but it, they definitely show that they have a good package, a good balance on offense in particular. I was at that game, Alex. First of all, atmosphere with the new on-campus stadium there at Everwaters University now. And it, it, and if I say Everwaters College, charges to my charges to my uh, head, not my heart, because they just became university this summer. Right now, with with that being said, Florida Memorial lost the game more than Everwaters won that game. Okay, Florida uh, Florida Memorial went down and scored on their first drive. Florida Memorial's defense it will not be anything to sneeze at all year long. Florida Memorial defense played outstanding. Hmm. Everwater defense played good and played good enough to keep their 
to keep their team in the game till they finally figured it out on office in about mid third quarter. But the game was won by Everett Waters and lost by Florida Memorial special team. That's is after, that same uh, Florida again. Memorial, Yeah, after Florida Memorial scored that first touchdown, uh bobble bobble snap on the ensuing PAT. Then there were then the Florida Memorial went down again. Everyone stopped it. There was a fourth down and maybe from about the 15-yard line. Very makeable field goal. Field goal hits the right upright. Another missed opportunity. Uh, then there were two more field goal attempts in the first half that either the line didn't block or the kick actually was blocked. Two more missed opportunities for Florida Memorial. The kicker actually got hurt on the last play of the half on a blocked field goal attempt. So now you have your backup kicker in the game for the second half. Uh, oh, oh, by the way, did I, did I mention that Florida Memorial got lucky with Edward Waters returned not one but two consecutive kicks for touchdowns, but there was some laundry on the field? Oh, man. And yeah, I didn't see that yeah, in the highlights. Yeah, you didn't see him in the highlights, but it, it, it was amazing. I've never seen a player take two consecutive kickoffs to the house. And when I say two consecutive kickoffs, I mean took the first one to the house, they brought it back because of the flag, and, and made them re-kick, and then he took the next one to the house down the other sideline. But they brought that one back because of the flag also. So that, so that kid ran 170 yards in two consecutive plays, and neither one of them counted. Mm, mm-mm. So, but as you get into it, the uh, special teams and the special teams play that turned the game around was the blocked punt by Ever Waters deep in Florida Memorial's territory, which Ever Waters scored, uh, recovered and scored for their first touchdown. And from there, uh, got a little bit of confidence. They started handing the ball to, uh, to Hughie, and I can't remember the name of the uh, other running back. But, you know, they started chalking up. They chalked up 200-plus yards of offense running the ball, and most of that was in the second half. And when Florida Memorial took the lead, Florida Memorial came back and scored to put them up 20-17, I believe the score was. And guess what? They gave up about 60 yards on, on the kickoff after the touchdown, which set up the final drive for Florida for Ever Waters where they only had to go about 30 yards to score with under two minutes to go. And again, what you said, you know, uh, it's it's not how you went and pick that dub and, and special teams. You know, are you will we continue to see the issue with special teams, the issue with the offensive line um, throughout the season, almost towards the end, just because, like you said, most uh, uh, schools hadn't played or even practiced in some cases, and so now they're trying to get rhythm now in the midst of their their, uh, their season. Yeah. What, what you need to look for, you need to look at each team individually. First thing I want you to look at is, does this team have a new head coach? Okay. Now, with new head coaches, you've actually got coaches that you have to look and see when they were bought in, just because it's a, first, a new head coach does not mean all head coaches or the new head coaches are the same this year. 
you have coaches who were brought in after the 2019 season to prepare for the 2020 season. So some of those coaches have been there a year and a half, going on two years, and are just now playing football. But they've had the opportunity to have spring practice, workouts, and things such as that nature. So they've had time to actually work their system out. Then you've got the coaches who were brought in after the uh, back in January. Then you've got these coaches who were brought in after this after this shortened spring season and really just got started in May. Well, I'll take Edward Waters, for example. Edward Waters looked like a team whose coach was just hired in May. No disrespect to Toriano Morgan, but you could tell he has not had opportunity to do some of the things that he really needs to do, whereas coaches who've had those spring practices and all their time on campus seem to be a little sharper than those teams that would do with uh, last-minute coaching changes. COVID and coaching changes yeah. after spring season. So when you look at your team, your favorite team, for these first two to three weeks of the season, and he has a and they have a new coach, look, think about when their coach is hired and adjust your expectations based upon that. Fort Valley, a team that's uh, going to be playing this uh, – this Saturday in the Red Tails Classic in Montgomery, Alabama. Their coach was hired after the 2019 season, but they did play two games this spring. So they're going to have a little bit of an advantage, but you've got a Tuskegee team whose coach has been there since 2006. We already know what system he's running. So those are the different things that you have to look at when you start really analyzing these games. Over the uh, over the next couple of weeks. If you're just joining us, we're talking with Ad Drew, of course, HBC Pro HBCU Pro Sports Media Association, which I'm a proud member of, uh, and of course the Black College Sports Network. You can check that out at website as well. Um, Ad, I know I, I'm trying to get through this two minute warning, and I know you you've got to go pretty soon. But I, I want to start with the current top ten. There's a lot of top tens out there. Uh, but certainly um, yours and the uh, Sports Media Association is, is, doesn't take a, a backseat to, to anyone. Um, you know, as of now, at the time this broadcast, of course, we'll vote again after this coming weekend. You know, A&T at the top of the list, there was a lot of questions about that. Some people had Alcorn State. People said Alabama A&M. Um, some people had South Carolina State even being a little higher. Then you got Dion coming to Jackson State. So um, I know you compiled it with a group of all of us, but looking at that level of football first, the, in your own personal vote, which one you, did, did you think should have been number one, number two, and number three at least? In, in my personal vote that I turned in, I had A&M number one, and that's Alabama A&M as my number one. I had North Carolina A&T as my number two for now, but that A&T and that Big South schedule is a gauntlet. I don't think A&T will finish, probably finish with a decent season, maybe eight and three, but I don't think that's going to be good enough for them to win a black national championship. 
uh, Florida A&M is the X factor. They have six conference games on the road. Florida A&M does, but uh, but they uh, they have six conference games on the road. But they had the number one. They had the number one recruiting class in in twenty nineteen. So Jackson State had the number one recruiting class for this year. What's going to happen with these two teams collide? What what you need to look out for is the BX Squat Challenge Part Two this weekend, where right. HBC, where our top five teams, Alabama A and M and South Carolina State, play each other. Mm. So. We know we we all know they have the All American quarterback in a quail glass, right? We know what uh, Coach Buddy Pugh does over there at South Carolina State. So this is going to be a really interesting, uh, really interesting matchup. I'm especially, looking forward to seeing that game. Yeah, especially when you, you know, but you know Buddy Ball, he's gonna play his Buddy Ball. And he likes to pin his guys back and go out to the quarterback. And you have you know, a great quarterback on the other side. That's the matchup I'm I'm looking at. Real quick, Bowie State, I think is a no-brainer um, in terms of uh, mid-major uh, should be number one. Um, Miles is very good. Savannah State, like you talked about, team that had a chance to play and practice, you know, they're number three. In personal opinion, who's number one, two, and three in, in, in that ranking? I think, we, I think we got it right. I really think we got it right. Although it's going to be interesting with Savannah State because everybody has to remember, Savannah State still has athletes who are recruited to play in the MEAC walking around on that campus right now. Hmm. So they've got Division One talent at now a Division Two school. Wow. <laughs> it's, uh, it's almost like that advantage that uh, we'll talk about um, with yeah. uh, Virginia. Virginia Union and things like that. Um, uh, I'm going to let you go. I just wanted to take a look at some games um, tonight. Um, Mississippi Valley State and Murray State, do they have any chance this evening? No. Next question. Okay. <laughs> um, looking at the big game, Blue State at Delaware State this Saturday. Uh, of course, it's a matchup with CIAA against uh, MIA. Can Bowie State beat Delaware State on the road? If you could find a line on that game, take Bowie State in the points. But, yes, I think Bowie State could, could beat them. South Carolina State, Alabama, A&M, you talked about that one real quick. That's a, a clash of the Titans right there. Who wins? Uh, Got to go with the team at home. You know, everybody needs to have their eyes on the state of Alabama uh, this weekend. Uh, and – because when you go through the game, some of the best teams in HBCU football will be playing somewhere in the state of Alabama. And then just one CIAA uh, uh, game coming up. I had Coach Bowers coming on, Bowser coming on from St. Augustine. They take on Tuscaloosa University. A lot of people aren't really talking about St. Augustine, but um, how do you think they'll do? Uh, once again, that's 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 going to be one of those games. I think uh, I think St. Augustine should be able to get that game though. Yeah, I think so. 
Uh, before you go, let people know yeah. how they can reach out and follow you. Of course, uh, obviously, the HBCU Sports Media Association can get information the top ten there. But uh, how they can follow you? Uh, on, on, on Twitter, at BCSEDRU, that's B-C-S-E-D-R-E-W. On Facebook, BCSED Sports Rap. And also on Facebook at Black College Sports Network. And our website is www.mybcsed.com. Dot net. AD, man, always a pleasure. Let's do it next week. And we, I mean, a slate of games we didn't get to, but a lot to talk about next week, man. I appreciate you, brother. All right. I'll be in Montgomery, Alabama, covering uh, uh, Alabama State Miles on Saturday. And then for the Labor Day Classic at Tuskegee and Fort Valley for the Red Tails Classic on Sunday. We hadn't even talked about that, Jacksonville uh, State, uh, with Deion Sanders' uh, debut, too. It's a lot to get to. We'll get to it next week. Thank you, man. All right. Appreciate you, my brother. All right, bro. It's the Bachelor News Radio Show. Stay tuned.
Welcome to another edition of the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, IBM TV, Big Mind Entertainment, um, WCOM in Chapel Hill. The studios there, we thank them for uh, allowing us to broadcast the show from there. I'm L.A. Bachelor. We thank you for checking in with us. We want to go to the phones, bring in our guest. He's the head football coach at Norfolk State in his first season. Uh, getting ready for a big game September 4th uh, at Toledo. He is Dawson Odoms. And Coach Odoms, we appreciate you coming on, on the show, sir. Oh, always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. So I think one of the, the biggest things that people uh, wonder about is when you transition, and I mean, you've been in, in this business for a long time and, and had a lot of success at Southern and other places, but when you, you look at um, this this transition into um, taking over uh, for the Spartans uh, in the midst of COVID. Uh, how difficult or maybe not at all, how, what's been the transition for you with this? Well, it's been, some, it's been some obstacles that you have to overcome, but I think the biggest thing is trusting your process, uh, believing in the people that's around you. And I have a chance to work for great people here at Norfolk State, uh, our president, Dr. Adams Gaston, is very, very good. Student Center University uh, really supported me in becoming a part of the, of the Spartan family. I athletic director, Melanie Webb. She did an outstanding job of selling the vision of the athletic department and just giving us an opportunity to come in together. I thought that was big, and I think the transition is no different. Uh, whether you can be with your team or not with your team. Uh, I focused on the process of controlling the things that I can and putting the right things in place and the right pieces of the puzzle together to try to make sure we give ourselves the best chance to be successful. You know, you're a, uh, a native from North Carolina, so it's sort of a homecoming for you, coming from Shelby. But, I mean, you've been all over the, uh, the map with the success at, um, at Southern in particular. Um, you know, winning a, a SWAC championship there, being coach of the year there, and uh, you've been in the MEAC and CIAA as well, and playing there. What what do you? What's the biggest things you bring to the table for Norfolk State and and this team? And we'll, and we'll get into some of your returning starters. Well, I just think it's process driven. Uh, I think the business approach of mine that it's not just that I'm a football coach. I believe that I'm a mentor, a father. I believe in loving and caring for the individuals that play for me. I believe in discipline. I think that's the forefront. I believe in uh, faith. I believe in family. I believe in making sure these guys have an understanding that this opportunity is about them becoming a complete young man, not just a football player. We want to see them chase HBCs, championships, and degrees. We want them to be successful fathers and husbands, and I think that's what Dawson Odoms is all about, and we call it the process. The process is everything to me, uh, and maybe one day we'll get a chance to talk about it, but one of the key ingredients in the process is discipline. I believe that young men thrive for it. They just need someone to be consistent in their approach and their delivery, and I think that's what I'm bringing this program. Uh, the talent is here. Now, can we put it all together? I think time will determine that, but we're off to a good start. They're buying in. They're believing. 
And now we just need some success to happen so that we can showcase to the world what we think is a hidden gem up here in Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, he's just joining us, of course. Uh, we're, we're talking with Dawson Odom's head football coach at the Norfolk State University Spartans getting ready for their season in a couple of weeks, uh, right around the corner. How excited are you? Um, I mean, with COVID, it shut down everything, practices and, and games. How excited are you and your staff, the players, ready to get at it? Well, you know, the players haven't played in a year and a half or so. But we was fortunate we had a chance to play in the spring. It was difficult, but things are only difficult if you don't have the mindset to do what it takes to overcome it. Uh, life's going to happen. No matter what happens in life, we know life is going to happen. And you just have to have the right mindset and the right mentality. Uh, we can't control certain things that happen. But when we get the, when we understand the problem, uh, I believe in focusing on the solution. There's no need to keep addressing the problem. Let's find solutions. Let's, let's come up with new ideas. Let's get creative and our approach. That surround ourselves with good people that understand that as well. And I think that's what has made the transition so much better. I think our players are understanding that as we get this process, talk to them. Uh, you can't control certain things in life. Uh, I can't control whether or not someone tests positive. Uh, we know that in this COVID world that we're living in, it's going to happen. Next guy got to be ready. And that's the mentality you got to have. And that's the understanding you got to have. It could be one of your better players that may have to sit. But what, at the end of the day, this is the hand that you dealt. You got to try to make sure you do the best with it. We try to dot our I's and cross our T's when it comes to that approach. And I think our players are having a great understanding of it. And assistant coaches, and we can stay on the same page. I think we have a great chance. You know, you you talk about transition and the players and and understanding the process. You hear a lot of coaches preach that, but you know, I I applaud you to talking about, you know, not just teaching them football, but teaching them to be men in society. But when what have you have you had any upperclassmen that kind of took the mantle and said, "Here, coach, we're here to." to help you. I know you had the spring football. Uh, talk about some of those upperclassmen and some of those uh, special guys really um, kind of helped your transition to be, you know, a lot easier for you. Well, you know, we didn't have spring football. I was I was still in Baton Rouge during the spring. I got right. here in the April and over the summer. The players are just, they understand uh, we understand this is a business. This is not just college athletics we're talking about. We're talking about college football. This is a multi-million dollar business, and that's what we talk about all the time. We are a Fortune 500 company that's got great employees, and that's our players. And we want them to understand that this product can only become more successful if you buy into believing that it's a good product. I tell them Coca-Cola is good because all the people that sell Coke believe in it. Norfolk State football should be the same way. It's a reason we got a 30,000-seat stadium. It's because we believe that we can fill that stadium up. But you need a product to go along with it, and you need wins. So these players are starting to understand that we're talking to them that I'm not the head coach, I'm the CEO. And one day you're going to have an opportunity to be the CEO of your company, and we hope that you learn some valuable lessons here by being a product of this organization to help you grow further in life. It's a business approach. Every day is about winning the day and making sure our players understand that no one will come watch a bad business. So let's give them what all the fans deserve. That's a good product. And every day we're working hard to try to deliver a good product. 
And you, you're doing a, a great job talking with um, Dawson Odoms. Of course, he's the head football coach at Norfolk State University. You know, coach, let's let's talk about your philosophy. I mean, did, from Clark to Southern to now and Norfolk with, you know, the, the stops in between, you, you've had the, the playing time, the coaching time. What's your philosophy? Um, what Spartan fans cannot um, come to – see offensively and defensively without, you know, giving up all your <laughs> all your information? Well, we'll spread, we'll spread the team on offense. We have a lot of weapons on offense. We can spread your goal line to goal line, sideline to sideline. We're very good at the running back position, the quarterback position, has a, a lot of talent at the O-line position, great receivers coming back, deep at the tight end position. So we, we have pieces on that to the puzzle on offense. It's just putting it together and playing consistent. And the only way you're going to do that is that you become a more disciplined football team. And, and that's really what our philosophy is, is to be consistent, take what the defense gives us, and, and don't shoot ourselves in the foot. Play the game the way it's supposed to be played, but play it with the right emotion, the, the right composure, and the right discipline. If we do those things, we're going to be successful on offense. Defensively, we're going to stop the run. Uh, I'm a defensive guy. We're going to stop the run. We believe that you know, we have a great chance of winning football games when we stop the run. Uh, we got to be able to play well on third down. We got to be able to play well in the red zone. I think if we do that and create some turnovers in defense, protect the ball on offense, play with great effort, I think you got a chance to be successful. And then our special teams, we got to be really creative and unique on special teams. And I think we got some players that's going to embrace. We practice special teams a lot. And hopefully that gives us a chance to win some ball games. But we've got to be a complete team. One component has to complement the other. I believe when we're able to do that, we'll find a lot more success. And hopefully we find that in the near future. You know, one of the things, so a couple of quick questions, Coach. I appreciate you staying on. You know, with your success, I mean, you've, you've won 75%, 76% of your games over your career, including in the SWAC. Is there anything particular that you go in – it sounds like I know what you would say, but when you go in into a home and you're talking to, you know, a, a, a guy's, a, a son's, a, you know, parents about what you're going to do and why they should now come to Norfolk State, you know, what do you tell them? Is it uh, about being men, about being, you know, um, it's you know, running it like a Fortune 500, like you said, um, or, you know, also the success that you've had on the field. Because, again, you won a SWAC championship. You've been successful where you've been. Um, is it a, a mixture of both? What will you tell the parents when you go into these living rooms? Well, the first thing I think is all about <clears throat> academics. I think that's, that's the priority. Uh, I think when you talk about HBCUs and you talk about the next generation of leaders, you talk about the future of Americans, the future of our country, the future internationally. We got to prepare young man for a unique experience that's called life. And I believe Norfolk State has everything from a resource standpoint to be able to prepare your young man for life. From an educational standpoint, from an athletic standpoint, from a resource standpoint, we are Norfolk State University. And we don't say that and we don't take that lightly because we really believe we have a product that can stand up to anybody in the country. And if young men want to go to the pros, you can get there from Norfolk State. We have a list of guys that have already done it for you. If you want to get a good degree that's going to equip you with the tools and equip you with the ticket for life, then we think Norfolk State degrees are hold up against anybody. 
I tell people when you come to Northwest State, it's not about your degree. It's about the people that you're going to meet along this journey. A degree means nothing until we put your name on it, but we will teach you how to sell yourself and represent this family completely. I believe that any young man that's excited about going to college, the green and gold is the place to be. They always say, our market, our brand is behold, the green and gold. That means something not only to me but to the young man that come in this program. We got something that we're building here, and I think every young man should take a look at a great university like Norfolk State. A lot of people don't know about it, but in due time, we believe that we're going to rise up and be accounted for because we think this is something special. A lot of people hear about other schools, but this place is special, and I believe it's my responsibility to help bring that notoriety to a place that they're so needed. We have a great fan base. We have electric people. We have great energy. We have a great student body. This is a great place for you to come participate in Greek life. You only join the band. We have one of the best bands in the country. Everything you will want to be able to groom yourself and grow yourself to learn and grow, you can get that right here in Norfolk State University. And I believe Dawson Owens, as your head football coach, will be able to help you as an extension of your family that every time in six months you go home, we should see a difference in you. You know, you you have a very unique schedule, too, um, and um, some TV broadcasts. It, it, we'll get to the, the keys to Toledo, but, I mean, you start with them, then you play the ACC Network against Wake, and you go CIAA, Elizabeth City State, San Fran, uh, um, um, St. Francis of Pennsylvania, and then you take on a rival uh, at home against Hampton, of course, now in a different conference as well. That, what went into – um, this schedule when it was put together? Uh, <clears throat> this schedule was made prior to me uh, coming to Norfolk State. Uh, but I really believe it give us some, some diversity. It give us uh, some national exposure. And I think that's what you want. You want to be able to expose the young man to different things in life. And the MEAC conference is great exposure for a young man from an environment standpoint, from a social standpoint but allow them to go to other venues such as Toledo and Wake Forest and then being able to play probably a one-time rival in Elizabeth City. Uh, it's, it's just give our guys a chance for great exposure, and I think that's something that most young men would love to have, and I think coming to Norfolk State allow you to receive that. Question before you get to Toledo. What, um, you know, of course, the NCAA is uh, temporarily, I use that word, allowed some of the student-athletes based on their image to be compensated in in some way. But, you know, we saw a kid at Johnson C. Smith got the Bojangles contract there in Charlotte. It's a local thing. What do you think of that? Do you think that that takes away from some of the focus that needs to be on the field, some of the focus that needs to be in the, in the rooms, or is this a, a good and long time coming for some of these student athletes? Uh, you referring to the transfer portal? Yeah, so some of the kids that um, you know that are um, getting uh, endorsement deals from some of the local businesses oh, in there. Oh, the NIL. Field. Okay. Yeah, the NIL stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think it's great. We have some guys doing it here at our place, and they're doing it for all the right reasons. As long as they're doing it the right way and it's not compromising their eligibility, I support young men that are trying to do things the right way and. A lot of schools make a lot of money on these young men, and they should have a, uh, a say-so in, in developing their brand because that's what the world is. It's about brand. 
brand sales. So if you have something that you can offer, why not be able to capitalize on that? Uh, it's tough being a college student, but to see these guys that are doing it for us <clears throat> and the way they're doing it and see the fun that they're having and they're doing it the right way, uh, I support our young men as long as they're doing it the right way. I think it's something that can be great as long as people do it the right way. Uh, just making sure you educate them and keep them up to speed on, on what they can and cannot do and what's allowed by your state and your university. I think when you go over those things with young men and you give them opportunity to make those decisions, I'm happy when able to get those deals. Yeah, especially when they lose their eligibility if they take oodles and noodles from an agent or something. So it just is really ridiculous. And I, I agree with you. I mean, it's a long time coming. Still not getting what they want, but NIL at least is, is some start. Uh, speaking of start, uh, you, you're you on the road in Toledo September 4th against this Toledo uh, team, ESPN three games, so you'll get the national exposure that you're talking about. Um, what do you know about this Toledo team? Uh, nothing. Uh, we ain't counting. <laughs> We're just trying to get better. We're focusing on us. Uh, I think it'll be time for us to focus on Toledo, and when that time comes, we'll be we'll be more than ready uh, to look forward to them and accept the challenge that's in front of us. But right now. We're focusing on the Spartans getting, getting better every day. And that's really something that we need to focus on because these guys haven't played football in a while. And just getting ready for a game and know that we're going to get to play this year is exciting for them. But we got to play at a certain level with a certain intensity, and that's what we're focusing on every day. Is it, is, has it been any kind of challenge with the protocols, you know, in terms of masks and, and all those things with COVID, in terms of your practices? Has they been as intense as you want them to be? Yes. Uh, we just, whatever the protocols we have in place, uh, that's what discipline has to kick in. Guys have to know what they can and can't do and, and make sure they, they do the right things. And that's the biggest part of being successful during this COVID season is making sure that you do your part as a student athlete, as a team. And that's what we're trying to make sure our guys are holding each other accountable and doing the right thing. But we've been practicing. Uh, we haven't had any interferences, and, and hopefully we can continue that uh, because I really believe the team that can get to the gate with the most people is going to have the best opportunity to be successful. So far, so good. Hopefully we can stay stay on that track. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, it, it's, that that's the challenge is to make sure that everybody's safe. But, but Coach, I mean, uh, best of luck to you. I mean, you, uh, like I said, everything you've touched, the Midas touched, wherever you've been, you've had the success in 76% of winning percentage and SWAC championship coach of the year uh, uh, did well there. You had the, your stops along the way in the LCIAA and, and, and with A&T. And so uh, best of luck to you, sir. Let's make this the first of many uh, interviews and, and good luck on uh, September 4th. Well, I appreciate it. Anytime I can get a chance to come on and, and talk about our great institution, uh, I'm all for that. And I thank you for inviting me. Behold the green and gold. Hi, I'm Amanda Pete. Like all new parents, my husband and I want what's best for our baby. When it was time for our daughter's immunizations, we wanted the facts. So we carefully researched vaccines. We spoke with doctors and other experts and asked some tough questions. We decided that vaccines were the best thing for our child. I urge you to get the facts. Learn the facts about vaccines so you can make the best healthcare decisions for your family. Thank you. A message from the American Academy of Pediatrics and vaccinateyourbaby.org. 
to the show. We thank you for joining us. If you miss any part of this broadcast, make sure you go to the website, thebachelornews.airtime.pro, T-H-E, Bachelor, B-A-T-C-H-E-L-O-R, news.airtime.pro. We'd love to uh, get your uh, feedback there. You can email us at labachelor 40 at gmail.com. Go to my guest. Always good to have him on. He's uh, not on a lot, but when he is on, we really appreciate him from the Power News Radio Network. He is Ty Miller. And Ty, always good to have you on, my friend. Hey, it's good to be here, L.A. What's going on? Nothing much, man. Uh, I, I want to, before we get to the games and and and, and your top ten, which is very good, uh, the CIAA announced a couple of days ago their COVID-19 game cancellation policy, basically saying if a team cancels a conference contest due to being COVID-19 protocol, uh, it will result in a loss for canceling the team and win for the team that is eligible to play. They're both in COVID protocol and mutually agree to cancel a conference contest, then it will result in a loss for both teams. goes on to talk about some of the other sports. And, then of course, it does say teams must meet the NCAA minimum for games played in order to qualify for conference national postseason play. So if they don't play enough, they won't even be have a shot to play in a title game or make postseason, so on and so forth. What do you make of this move by uh, the CIAA? This is the other, the, the one conference that in the beginning shut everything down before some of the other ones uh, when COVID-19 hit. I think it's a good move in terms of what they're doing to try to remain as safe as possible. I think the message being sent not only uh, in college football, but also in pro football is that, you know, this to some degree is a business and we mean to get these games in and the best way to get these games in if the players are all vaccinated. So what the, what the, the league is doing, NFL is doing as well as what the CAA has done now is just letting, letting people know that, okay, if your team is not safe, it's going to result in a loss to you know, talk to your players. It's best for your players to be vaccinated as much as possible. So I'm, I'm not surprised at all by the CIAA's move because the NFL made that move as well. As a matter of fact, the NFL stepped up testing so far as every seven days as opposed to every 14 days for even vaccinated players. So I think it's just a way that they're going about it to try to ensure as much as possible that, that these games get in, not only from a pro level, but a college level as well. Why not just – Take that that template with all the um, HBCUs because then you, I mean, if I'm a a coach or a teammate on a team, I want the best players to to help us win. Um, There's a debate, obviously, with the vaccination. But if there's protocols and wearing masks and and when you travel and different things that are going on, like you said, the NFL has theirs, CIAA just came out with theirs two days ago. that would ensure, especially if you're a good team, uh, that you get to a conference title uh, shot and or you get to play in the postseason. 
But the thing is, you know, if a team is really hit hard by COVID-19, you could have a whole position of players out. So that could cause a forfeiture of a game or a loss. So I, I think what they're doing, I don't think it's germane to just the best players. I, I think it's germane to just players, period. Right. Because, Got I mean, you, you can get – the offensive line could be infected. I mean, if you look at the Patriots situation now, Bill Belichick said it had nothing to do with vaccination or COVID-19 as to why Cam Newton was released. But here you have a high-profile quarterback, and the quarterback is a position that really touches everybody on the offense in some way, shape, or form. You know, he has to be in the meeting rooms. So you can't have your highest-profile player, if at all possible, unvaccinated. Yeah, I don't buy that, uh, what he said, especially when we saw Urban Meyer, um, this investigation by the Players Association. Urban Meyer said, yeah, I mean, sure. <laughs> My decisions were a part of it was because if they're not vaccinated, um, that could affect this team. So cuts and things, you know, happened, you know, and I don't, I'm not a big fan of him. I don't blame him for saying it and doing it because of that, if he wants, wants to win. Um, talk to Ty Miller, Director of News and Sports at Power News Radio Network here on the Bastard News Radio Show. Um, Ty, when you looked at the, the marquee game for me was Alcorn State and Central. And mm-hmm. as A.D. Drew was talking about it uh, before, you know, even a lot of the so-called media pundits and people, you know, in our in our space were saying Central had no shot. Um, even Central fans here in Durham said no shot. And Central said, wait a minute, we still got to play the game. And they went out there, and I thought between Alcorn State believing, I know you have them, um, you know, in your top five, and, and they're, they're in the top five of a lot of other polls, that believing their press and, you know, that first drive they came out there where they just kind of ran down, went down the field and scored, that they just kind of sat back. But give credit to Central. But were you surprised by that, the outcome uh, in that game? To be totally honest with you, L.A., not really. Because we're looking at a situation where both teams have been off for a long period of time. And it's almost like the the most surprising aspect of that game to me was how well the game was played really between both teams. It's not so much as that North Carolina Central matched Alcorn State in intensity but it's just how well they played after being off virtually for a year. So they were ready to play because these guys haven't hit anybody except for themselves. So they were just geared up to play each other. So in that respect, I wasn't really surprised because I think, you know, even doing a top 10 right now, in all honesty for me, you're just basically doing a top 10 based on what you've seen in the past. And that past has been about a year and a half ago now since there's been black college football really played because I looked at the spring season in all actuality, as a non-season, so to speak, because even Alabama A&M, they were like the pseudo-national champions, but they played five games. You know, they played five games, so five games does not a season make. And it's pretty much like if you go to major college football, how Ohio State got in there in a championship round being 6-1 and at the time, I don't know. They should not have been there. It should have been Oklahoma or someone else. But, you know, what you may see, you may see more upsets of sorts in the first couple of weeks of the season because these teams have not played. I mean, I think the Delaware state Bowie state game should be very close. I'm going to be shocked by miles college and Alabama state this weekend. So I think a number of games with these cross sections or cross cross conference teams playing 
you might see a number of games being tighter than expected just because there has been a layoff and just because some of these guys are chomping at the bit just to get on the field to play somebody, and they can play at that level. You know, I, I want to go to your top ten. It's very, it's very interesting and, and, you know, spot on in a lot of places. Like you have Alabama A&M at, at number one, but some people have A&T. Some people have Florida A&M. And, and, and A&M might be two or three in another one. Uh, all eyes on Jackson State with that debut with Dion. Um, it, it, you know, before we kind of go down the number there, uh, the, the, a couple of things that stood out. Um, I think the gimmies that everybody really said at the uh, mid-major level uh, was B- Bowie State and Miles. You had to put them in your top ten. I mean, at, at this – a no-brainer. The interesting one that's not in your top ten um, and is yet to be seen is Edward Waters. They had played some games, you know, like you said, the Ohio State type of factor. Not a lot, but they played some. Uh, they have some experience, um, and they, they won, albeit it was a close game, but they did win their game uh, this past weekend. And then when you look at uh, Central, um, I'm wondering if you had Central in your top 10 going into this weekend when they upset Alcorn State or this past weekend, or did you add them in there? And Carolina, I mean, A&T, and some polls were in the top three. You have them at number seven. Well, Central was not there until they beat Alcorn State, and normally – in a normal situation, we would freeze the poll until all the teams are played because realistically, uh, preseason top ten is just, just what people think will happen. And you really don't start to see a true top ten until a couple of games have been played, at least even also almost three or four games have been played. Uh, right. But Central got it just based on the fact that we did a new top ten for this week and they beat Alcorn State, which, again, I really don't consider an upset because, right. again, they haven't played. You don't know what these teams have. Yes, Alcorn State's quarterback was back. But, you know, Central just played at a higher level. And when you talk about North Carolina A&T, the fact that that is involved there is the fact that North Carolina A&T is no longer a quote-unquote just a black college team, which means their competition is not going to be all black college competition like it has been mostly in the past. So by mixing those – Big South Conference games in there and the other teams that they're playing, you know, we just don't see it where they're going to end up being highly ranked as a black college team when the season ends. Mm. I mean, that's what that – I, I that was makes, surprised. I was quite surprised by a lot of teams, people still picking them to be black college national champion because they're not really playing a, a bona fide black college schedule. It's almost like Tennessee State. They have to do something special to become the Black College champion. So it's almost like A&T at this point will have to not run the table but really be highly successful in their Big South Conference games as well as their games they're playing within the Black College contingency of, of their schedule. What about Florida A&M? Um, you know, they have a tough on-the-road schedule. Um, and, you know, it, I, you know, I, I kind of look at them – they can sink or swim like A and T, like you're saying. The the, the out of conference schedule and and the, and the the black collar schedule that you know we don't know what we're gonna get from them in in Florida A and M. And then again, or what about Edward Waters? Edward Waters again is the outlier. 
Edward Waters is not on the radar, so to speak. So they're going to have to really sort of like a buoy state. Buoy state ran the table the last time they played the 2019 in the CIAA until they got to Carson Newman in the playoffs. If they were 11-0 and and then they met Carson Newman in the playoffs, Edward Waters hasn't done that yet. They won one game of Florida Memorial, and it was a squeaker, 24-20. So right. until they lay the groundwork and make a statement that they run off a few games, then I'll think you'll hear some people say, okay, let's give Edward Waters some credit in, for what they are. Because they just, don't, they, just, they just don't register right away, and you're not looking at what they're doing. It's sort of like uh, you know, Central State back in the day used to be that team, but Central State always won. So they got that respect. Edward Waters has not earned that respect at least on the field yet. The great thing about Edward Waters is he's getting recognition, and that's really, to me, L.A. is what the polls are all about, in a sense. Yes, it's a lot of propaganda, but in a sense, it's also giving recognition to those teams that, like you you had mentioned, Edward Waters, someone may not otherwise know that they even exist in terms of playing black college football. You know, uh, we're talking with Ty Miller here on the Bachelor News Radio Show. If A&M loses this week, the games we'll get to, and, and Jackson State, again, South Carolina State, uh, the, the, the big game, uh, Alcorn State already lost. If Bowie beats Delaware State, are they in your top five? Oh, I think they – I don't know if they definitely move up. It depends on what else happens. Depends on what else – because, you know, obviously there are going to be some shakeups with uh, South Carolina State taking on Alabama A&M and Jackson State taking on Florida A&M. You're going to see some – some shakeups there, and even with Grambling taking on Tennessee State. So you'll see some major shakeups. But, you know, this is like, again, week one, which is almost used to be week zero until they started playing week zero games. Uh, so I, I just think that anything can happen. And, again, people love polls. Preseason polls are always out there. But at this point, I think it's a crapshoot to say anybody is really a true number one or even a top ten team. But you know, that's what we do. We rank the teams early on, and we're really ranking teams basically on memory and what we've basically seen since last spring. So that's why Alabama A&M is getting the nod right now. But they did not yeah. run the gauntlet of teams that they normally ran in the SWAC in 2019. And FAMU, if realistically, and for my money, that's the team I think everybody should watch out for. I expect them to beat Jackson State. Hmm. So you gave us one pick there. I expect, I expect them to beat Jackson State personally, you know, because I think Jackson State they have a lot of they have a lot of publicity based on the fact they have a new coach and they're a hot team right now on paper. Right. But I think Florida A and M under Willie Simmons has been consistent since he got there, and that's the team I think we really have to watch out for. Yeah, I like Willie Simmons. So your top ten Alabama A and M. Florida A&M, number two, Jackson State, number three, Bulldogs, South Carolina, number four, Alcorn State, took the loss there at number five, Bulldogs of Bowie State, um, the highest in terms of uh, mid-majors at six, the Aggies of A&T at seven, Gremlin State at eight, Central, the big uh, win against Alcorn State at nine, Miles College at ten. And Miles College, again, it you know, are you are you guys and I I'm, I love this I love your top tens I'm all into it. it it's 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 my my fantasy football type of adrenaline I don't play fantasy football but I love the top tens I look forward to you guys having the top tens especially yours and so if you know Bowie State and Miles College 
are you guys going to do a major, mid-major uh, champion, or is it going to be one? Because if, for me, if Bowie State, let, let's say they run the table like they did, even if they lose the playoffs, uh, hopefully they won't. Or Miles College runs the table. They got a big game this week coming up, too. Um, if they run it and they're mid-majors, would you have a major and mid-major champion or just one champion? Just one champion. Uh, my mm. poll dates back to 1927 when the Pittsburgh Couriers to do the polls, and they all ranked the teams, you know, together. Uh, and then Sheridan Broadcasting took that poll over in 1974, and when I came aboard with them in 1990, they did the same thing. So since when they went out of business in 2000, 2017, rather, that's when I took it over. So I've been consistent with the way the poll has been ranked. And along the way, even from 1990 up until 2017, when I was doing the poll for Sheridan Broadcasting and American Urban Radio Networks, we had situations where we had mid-major teams or Division II teams uh, to be national champions. I can cite you a couple of cases. Uh, Central State. Uh, was the NAIA team at the time. They were um, national champions on a couple of occasions. Hampton University, when they were CAA team, they were uh, national champions. And I remember people like Joe Taylor, when he coached at Hampton in the CAA, uh, and then we, oh, when he coached even before Hampton, he coached, coached at, because uh, Hampton moved to the CAA in the, right. um, I think the late or early 90s, they moved to the CIA, to the uh, MEAC. But when, when Joe coached at Virginia Union, he would lobby to make sure his team was in the poll and that they were just as good as anyone else. And certainly when he got to Hampton and he won the championship with Hampton being a Division two, you know, he was applauded for that. But then when he went to Florida A&M, or when Hampton moved to, to you know, major status with the MEAC, he was one of those guys lobbying against the CIAA teams. And that's how, it's kind of like, that's how it goes. The SWAC, MEAC, they were always lobbied that those teams are not on the level with them. But if you're coaching like a Rick Comagy, for example, when he coached at Tuskegee, he won our championship. And Rick, he did it with the powerhouse Division II team, Tuskegee. And there were people lobbying saying, okay, Tuskegee only plays, you know, they play mostly a Division II schedule. But when they got to those major major teams, they would beat the Alabama States and, and the Southerns and people like that. So, yes, certainly it, we were still ranked the same way. And I know it – you know, it's maybe not fair to everybody to say you shouldn't rank those teams together, but there's not a lot of separation, in our opinion, when it comes to those teams from the SWAC and MEAC as opposed to the CIAA and the and, and the SIAC. There's, I mean, yeah. there's some separation among some of those teams, but there are some who can play toe-to-toe with them. I think Miles College, if you look at their track record, the past several years, they have put themselves in that category, certainly uh, Tuskegee's been there. They took a little hit the last couple of years, but they've been there consistently, and that's what Bowie State is now. That's why I think it bears watching. You know, it's going to be a very interesting situation to see how they do against Delaware State. Yeah, I, I would think that you know I, the rumor has it LA that and it would be a, would be a money situation, but they're being quoted you know, in some respects by the by the MEAC of Bowie State because they need to. From a football playing standpoint, they have only six teams. So they have to increase their numbers to be viable as a conference. Real soon. Um, and you're right about what you said about Bowie and, and, and Miles and, and Tuskegee being perennial um, at that level. Um, so one thing, I before we kind of preview some games and, and let you go, when we look at 
the announcement, and you know, there's been some kind of retracting a little bit from the Pac-12, but the, the ACC, Big 12, Pac-12, um, trying to have this alliance, or I'll play you, you play me, we'll have these big money games, and you know, we'll work it out. It's, and of course, it's a response to the SEC bringing in Oklahoma and Texas pretty soon. Uh, the SEC is, you know, the standard at that level when it comes to college football. What is this going to do for those money games when Alabama A&M or some, let's say hypothetically played Alabama or Florida A&M played Florida or whatever, those money games that are out there, Central plays Duke or something. Um, what is that? How, how much is that going to affect the economics for HBCUs when if they're going to, if these PWIs are going to play each other that much, it's going to take some of these games off the schedule. Well, you're right about that. So what you will likely are more classic, like they just put together that Red Tails classic, uh, and you're you're seeing like the Orange Blossom classic being, you know, uh, highly publicized, and you're seeing the Hall of Fame classic, the Black College Hall of Fame classic, being publicized. So you'll likely see more um, corporations get involved with the Black College teams. That would be the money avenue because, I, like you said, those teams, those Power Five alliances who are now trying to play each other, um, they'll likely not schedule as many, you know, small conference teams, and not just the SWAC and the MEAC, but, you know, other conferences as well. They might not schedule the Appalachian States and, and people like that, so the, or the Big South Conference teams like Furman and other teams as much. Now, if they do continue to do that, the great things for a team like for North Carolina A&T, for example, they may get to play at Clemson like South Carolina State, you know, has a date with people like, like Clemson next week, I think it is. You know, so that's a big money game in state for them. So they, you might see that. But I think what's going to happen in the future with these alliances, certainly you're going to see less and less of those um, games for the black colleges where they get a chance to fill their coffers with some money based on the fact that they they basically are pay-for-play games. And they are – are HBCUs in a position, especially football and uh, basketball, but as we talk about football, in a position to get what I call, I call it, that guilt money from corporate America, you know, and, and this climate of Me Too and all this, you know, civil unrest and, and the social, you know, change, um, are, are they not only in a position to, to get those, those corporations to have these classics, um, and are they should they, if you don't know, be aggressive, more aggressive to, to go out and get those games? Well, I think they're going to have to be aggressive, number one, because the guilt complex of these corporations, that has kind of subsided. Uh, you know, if you were looking at how things were happening in the aftermath of George Floyd's death, every corporation was coming out there saying, okay, we want to put money towards social change and drop money to institutions to help, you know, black people do this or black colleges do that. And right. that lasts for like a good three week period to a month, because I can tell you, I checked around and a lot of those corporations, as soon as you would check for them in terms of what they were donating, they were saying their offers to help were closed. You know, now I'm not sure if they got the doors beat down by people looking for help, but in many cases that, that white guilt, so to speak, it went away real fast. Mm-hmm. So now what's going to happen is I think, you have to seek these people out. The black colleges have to seek these, these donors out, or if they align themselves with the proper people, like 
for example, you saw the Swag Me a Challenge last week. It was, uh, I think, Cricket Wireless. Not to plug them, but I think they did the sponsorship, the major sponsorship of the game. So that's a chance for them to say, and, you know, we as a people, we got crickets left and right. So for them, it, it was a win-win situation to promote cricket. Uh, well, I mean, because they know that they have a large clientele of black people buying cricket. So those kind of associations might have to be sought after by the, the colleges or the conferences, so to speak. So I, I think you'll see more more of that. And the conference to do, for a matter of fact, they have a lot of these conferences are aligned with different major corporations that can kick money in periodically, but they're just not going to give it to them. Basketball is not is in much trouble because basketball, they need the game. So there will be money games in basketball that will continue. The thing about that, the money in basketball is not as as huge as it is in football. Good point. Good point. Talking with, uh, of course, Ty Miller. Of course, he is the um, sports director in, uh, of, of Power News Radio Network. Uh, Ty, uh, just looking at some games this weekend, I just want to – it's so many, of course, a, a full slate of games. Just kind of focus in on, let's say, the classics. Uh, at the time of this broadcast, there's a game coming up uh, tonight, Mississippi Valley State at Murray State. Uh, Mississippi Valley State have any shot of doing anything against Murray State? Maybe for a quarter, but I can tell you Mississippi Valley State in 2019 was getting better, but I don't think they're at the level where they can go in there and pull off an upset. That would certainly be a huge upset if they were to do that, uh, but not tonight. It's not going to happen. Hmm. South Carolina State plays this weekend at Alabama A&M, you uh, alluded to the uh, the uh, classic there. Uh, it's a big game, big game for rankings early and big game in terms of the statement. This is MEAC uh, part two. So who wins this game in Huntsville? Alabama State, I mean, Alabama A&M rather, is as good as we saw them in the spring. However, what you saw South Carolina State was not the true South Carolina State team. That team that had a lot of starts was stops and starts during the spring ball, during that spring season, where there was a stretch where maybe they didn't play for three weeks. So it's hard to – one thing about football is consistency on a week-to-week basis or every other week basis. And in that case, I think what you, you didn't see a true South Carolina State team. And I personally think it's a toss-up. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, My- I'm really – I'm calling toss-up on a lot of these games this week, to be honest with you. Okay, so another of uh, the Labor Day Classic, Miles College, you talked about them and, and the interesting part of them, going to Alabama State. Well, Miles College, like I said, has been up there again uh, for the past couple of years. So I think Don Hill Ely is about to turn the corner uh, with his Alabama State team. I expect it to be sort of close, but I expect Alabama State to win this game. Wouldn't be surprised if Miles pulled off the upset, but I think Alabama State is, is about to turn that corner. And, again, I, I say this with an asterisk based on the fact that we haven't seen these teams since 2019. Right. So we really don't know what – you know, I think anybody making predictions at this point, it's just making predictions based on history, uh, based on what they think they know. Because, you know, a lot of cases that are have simulating teams based on some kids not moving on because – they have that extra year to play, but you also have the freshmen that came in. So there are a lot of unknowns about these teams based on who are going to be the players on these teams to some degree, because you have a, a, a huge, you know, mix of players 
that were already there, some who stayed, some who left, but certainly the incoming freshmen. You know, Battle of Texas, Prairie View uh, at Texas Southern. Texas Southern, another one of those teams that was getting better, but certainly Prairie View had gotten up to a certain standard. I think the, the, the SWAC, I'll be honest with you, is wide open. It is wide open. The Labor Day Classic down there in Texas is always a, a, a tight affair, but I'm going to give the nod to Prairie View on this one, just based on history. Mm. It'll be interesting to see what happens. You mentioned Jackson State a few times. They had a real good recruiting class. Of course, no surprise, uh, they're playing Florida A&M, who will be a, a very good football team, as you mentioned, in the Orange Blossom Classic in Miami. Who wins that? I still put my money on Florida A&M. I mean, yes, Jackson State had a great recruiting class, but like anybody else, you can get the kids out there on the field, but they got to be coached up. Until they produce, You can they could be four stars, three stars, two stars and a half or whatever. My money is in Florida A&M based on what they did prior to, you know, this season. And you remember a couple of years ago, Fam, you was on, the, uh, was on probation. Right. And had a lot to play for, and they, they actually – had a great season at 9-2 and two, but couldn't win anything because of probation. I think this is the time that they make that count when they can really count in the standings. Um, and Grambling State at Tennessee State, you mentioned that one too, the Hall of Fame Classic. This would be a very, very good matchup. But it should be. Uh, I think Broderick uh, Fobbs is a good coach. I think he was one of those unsung coaches that maybe doesn't get the credit he deserves. Certainly Eddie George will get a lot of attention in this game. But Eddie's not playing. And my pick in this game uh, will be Grambling State. I think that um, uh, someone just emailed about South Carolina State against um, uh, their opponent. When you, you look at that game against Alabama and A&M, just to quickly go back, somebody texted me real quick and said, you know, the interesting matchup would be Buddy Ball and that defense against that, that great quarterback on the other side. And they're saying, well, who you think will win that matchup? in terms of the quarterback versus that defense? I think the quarterback's going to do – Akil Glass is, is a great quarterback, at least at that level, and I think he is as good as advertised. I think it all comes down to, when, it, when, when in games like this, who makes the least amount of mistakes and who makes this last plays. And I really think, you know, for all intents and purposes, that's the kind of team – Buddy Pugh may be taken into Alabama and in this time around, knowing what happened down there in South Carolina back in mid-March. Right. A better prepared team, a team that is better prepared based on the fact that they've been more consistently practicing and playing. Uh, I, I think who wins that matchup? I think Akil Glass gets his numbers, but I think South Carolina State, if it's close, I think they win. Mm. Two final ones, and this is David versus Goliath, if you will, from FCS to D2. Uh, you mentioned Bowie at Delaware. I think Bowie can can pull it off. Um, I, you know, I I know uh, Coach Blunt, but I I just think Bowie is is solid, and they can go in there and win. Who you think wins that game? I agree with you. I I, I agree that if if any team can pull off an upset this weekend. Uh, it's a funny thing, talking to Coach Milstead during the week on the uh, MEAC conference call, he brought up the fact that, you know, they weren't thinking upset. You know, they were just playing the game. But then when I brought it up to him, he said, well, I never brought up upset. And that was the first thing he talked about because there was so much attention paid to the fact that 
Alcorn State lost to North Carolina Central. And, again, I don't think that was a huge upset. I think people look at it as an upset because what they were expecting from Alcorn State. But you're talking about an Alcorn State team that had not played in 600 days, just like the NC Central team that had not played. But I think in this Delaware State um, Bowie State game, they're more even, and, and Bowie State has a championship pedigree. Right. Well, after this game, the, the way that Delaware State wins this game, if they can run the ball and wear Bowie State's defense down, if they can, but Jawan Carter is going to be a tough guy. Well, it's not Jawan Carter for them. I forgot the quarterback. I think uh, Jones is the quarterback for um, Bowie State. He's going to be a hard guy to handle for Delaware State. The key thing is, can Delaware State's offense keep Bowie State, I mean, defense rather, uh, handle their offense and run the ball? If they can do that, they can win. But I'm picking Bowie State in an upset in this one. And then the final one is Virginia Union at Hampton. And, you know, the Union, I mean, the Virginia schools are always a challenge in the North and the CIAA uh, to Bowie State. Um, Virginia Union and a lot of uh, polls in terms of the uh, mid-major level have been you know, picked in the top five in some cases. Had a Hampton team that you know has moved on, and and certainly they they can score points. Uh, does Union have any shot at trying to keep it close at the very least, if not pulling off an upset? I don't know, but one thing that's for sure, L.A. Hampton does not lose their game. <laughs> they better they better not lose to Virginia Union, uh, even though there's a lot of people who played in high school together in this game. And it's going to be a natural rivalry for sure. But I'm thinking Hampton should win this game. Uh, Virginia Union is still tough, but I just say Hampton better not lose this game, or they'll be baptized in the Big South this year. Mm-hmm. That would be something else. I did get someone in the chat room that said he didn't mention Savannah State, and you know Savannah State is like the Edwards Waters uh, tie where they had a little experience. And they, they played, they got some talent. They, I think they have some D1 talent um, there, and they're playing at D2 level. So what about Savannah State? I think they played Valdosta State this weekend. Uh, I think so. I think they will be among the higher-tier uh, SIAC teams this year, certainly because they have some of that D1 talent before that's still there and did not before they went back to D2. So that alone is going to account for them being better than most SIAC teams. I just don't think they'll win this week though. Mm. Ty Miller, before you go, let people know how they can follow your website and follow you, sir. And I thank you. And thank you for your top 10. Let's do this next week. Cause we got a slate of games and, and news and notes to get to next week. Well, Power News Radio Network is by subscription, and you can reach us at Power News Radio Network, or just PowerNewsRadio.com. Email us at PowerNewsRadioNetwork at gmail.com. Again, the website is PowerNewsRadio.com, all one word. We do news, we do sports, we do Black College Football Weekly. We also do coping with coronavirus reports to keep people abreast of what's happening with this ongoing pandemic. And, you know, folks, he, he does the uh, the BCF report every week, and and we have that, and, and we appreciate it. does a really great job with the time, man. I always told you you had the voice. I really appreciate you, man, and um, let's do it next week. God bless you. Be careful, okay? All right, you too, man. Take care. Thanks, L.A. Thanks. Thanks, Ty.
Ty Miller from the Power News Radio Network. Funny running into you It has to be three years Since we last seen each other Many flashbacks come to mind Of the wild and crazy times We used to have with one another We absolutely didn't care We would do it anywhere Eye contact and it was over But that's when I was wildin' out I couldn't care less about Someone getting hurt I've done my share of dirt But I'm a wiser Oh, oh yeah a few one night stands some of their names I can't remember imagine waking up with someone who you barely even knew time and time again but there's someone for everyone I've been blessed to find that one who makes me feel like no other you are looking good as hell But I can't go home with you Because I'm going home to her All the night Hey 
Don't forget, if you missed any part of our broadcast or interviews or anything, go to our website and listen to the rebroadcast at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. T-H-E-B-A-T-C-H-E-L-O-R. News. Dot airtime dot pro the bachelor news dot airtime dot pro Bum spiggity bum spiggity bum hunt I got that up put up a pump pump but I can be by a bold diddly bum here I come to be the piper I'm hyper than Pinocchio's nose cause I'm a super calibrated tic tac pro I gave a oopsie lazy now you got the crazy crazy with the books googly goo where's the gravy so one two um buckle my um Shoo, yabba, do, hibbity, hoo, crack a bruise, a trick or treat. From my feet, get my dippity, drop the hit. The books get on your walk and fuck out on stuff. It's just trash, they double trash, they swiggity, smack some weird kids. The boogity, woogity, Brooklyn boys about to get a hit. Stick. My waist bones connected to my hip bone, my hip bones connected to my thigh bone, my thigh bones connected to my knee bone, my knee bones connected to my body. Ha ha ha. Dippity, dabba, Georgia, dabba, not the funny bone. I'm get the ovals heat, I'd rather have my honey over. Preferably the test of me, let's spiggity, fuck the bread, so dun dun dun. Well, I'll be gone. Timber me timber, Joe, head for the hills. I pick the weeping willow and a daffodil. So back up, rock on while I pulverize my gut. Cut this little pig against busy and stuff. I read my dirty heaven's emergency honky tonk. I get sweat. I call the stuff up against the smoke. The booger loose slip. I got the nook, the clan, the nitty gritty, 40 dose of all aboard. Cast away. Hey, where's my booger loose? I'm steaming. Agony. Why is everybody always picking on me? They call me what's insane. I'm up my game. You ask me again, and I just tell you the same. Cause I'm the booger vegetarian, huh? Stick them up free. So no pork sausages, mom. Please, they blitz shoot the breeze. Whitley D shoots his lips. Crazy Jay's shot the seventh. Yep, and I shot the gift. And that's pretty sneaky. Oh, yeah, I got my socks off, my rocks off, my lessons go for Coco Holly Hobby, try to zombie, try to find me, silly son, diggity, dun, 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 dun,
Ain't holding nothing back now. Shaka shaka da shaka da. 